just when we thought we were in the clear with all this coronavirus pandemic stuff, boom! Some severe bad news came out recently about Johnson & Johnson and the coronavirus vaccines. We're all about here on Ministry During the Disruption about disruptions and talking about them. And this is not one of the disruptions I wanted to hear about. But here we are. I'm Kyle and you're listening to Ministry During the Disruption. Hello, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm here with our senior st statistician correspondent, Steve Tamayo. Hey, Kyle. I'm so glad to be here on this week. This week started off so good for me. It did start off so good for you. But just so everybody knows, we're also um, we're, we're recording this a week prior to when this will actually be released because of our schedules. And we're so we'll be, if any news comes out that may or may not affect what we're saying, but our take is to pivot what we're learning this week to campus ministry. So we think it still applies and we think it's still, it's still pretty fun and or interesting. But Steve, tell me more about this here, Johnson and Johnson vaccine. What's going on here with all this? Yeah, man. So you're kind of stealing my thunder. So Saturday, I went to the Tampa Greyhound track and had no line and I was able to get a vaccine, the J&J &J vaccine. Now, my wife, I, I got home, I kind of grabbed the kids, my wife went and she pulled up and right as she pulled up, a huge storm came through Tampa and shut the vaccination site down. So she wasn't able to get her vaccine. On Tuesday, we'd worked out, finally worked out the details for how I was going to juggle the kids and she was going to go and get her vaccine. And five minutes later, we hear that the FDA and the CDC have shut down the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and it's no longer going to be uh, available while they're reevaluating it because there have been a number of cases of people having severe blood clotting and including a fatality. Right. So if I'm looking up in this particular information right now, there's also, this is also not just for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We've also seen it with Oxford's AstraZeneca shot, which has also occurred with a couple um, blood clots, which are extremely rare, but they are potentially fatal. Yes. And the AstraZeneca vaccine is not even available in the United States, potentially for this very reason. Right. Now, I, I guess for me, Steve, what I'm looking at is th there have been 7.4 million doses of this vaccine. And there are six cases of this severe blood clotting. Okay, as a uneducated person around this subject, like, isn't that like, not bad numbers? That's like less than one in a million. So it's not less than one in a million. Because those 7 million vaccinations have not gone to women who are aged 18 to 48. So if you want to compare apples and apples, you need to compare the population that has had the blood clotting with the population that's gotten the vaccine. So that population of women aged 18 to 48, that's the at-risk population, is a subset of that 7 million. So we don't have data on how that subset breaks down, that data is not publicly available right now. It, it might be after this episode is released. But if you figure that 7 million, okay, figure half of those are men, that takes your uh, odds ratio from kind of one in a million to 
two in a million or one in 500,000 because you figure that's 3.5 million men. And then you think, well, actually, at this point in time, that vaccine had only been available for that population uh, broadly for the last week or two. And so you say, okay, well, how many, how many of those 18 to 48-year-olds actually got the J&J vaccine? And so maybe it's 500, 600,000. So really now your number is 1 in 100,000. E. Okay, so yeah, that sounds a lot worse. That sounds a lot worse. So one of the things that, that this brings to the surface is that our ability to think analogically and statistically is skewed by tons of cognitive distortions. And actually, this is my take for this week, is that we need to train our brains. We need to train our brains because the way our brains naturally function are perfect for situations that we are naturally in. But when we're in new situations and disruptive contexts, the ways our brains function actually malfunction. They, they present dysfunction to us and they can cause harm. I actually saw someone who was comparing uh, the blood clotting risk to uh, the blood clot risk from oral contraceptives, from, from birth control. And they were like, your chances of getting a blood clot if you take birth control is one in 300 is one in 3000. Uh, they use the statistic you use is one in a million. If you get the J and J vaccine, it's one in 3000. If you take birth control and, um, you can look at that and you're like, wow. Okay. So then the vaccine is way safer than oral contraceptives and people take birth control all the time. And, um, that's societally accepted as safe, right? And uh, you look at that and you say, all right, well, um, is that true? <laughs> Before I post it on social media, is that true? Well, you know, it turns out that actually there are different types of blood clots. So like a, bl- right. a blood clot is not a blood clot. Like you can get a blood clot in your leg. That's really different than getting a blood clot in your brain. Right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So one one thing this makes me think of is my dad is also very passionate about this subject. And how he would do it in medicine is he would talk about, um, he would use optical illusions to say that how the human brain doesn't work in certain scenarios, right? And you like look at it like, like the classic example is like you have like like a circle and like two apples surrounded by circles and the circles look are different sizes or different distances away. One apple looks way bigger than the other, right? And so, and we're like, oh, but actually, if you remove the circles, they look exactly the same. They're the exactly the same size. They're the same distance, et cetera. And our brains trick us. Do you think you can dig that up and drop that in the show notes? That would be awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. And there's some classic like game shows where this was happening too, where there's like a car behind a door and there's three doors and like, I'm forgetting what that is. It's probably more from your era, Steve, you know. Let's make a deal. It's called Let's Make a Deal. Uh, oh, I thought it was the Roman gladiatorial games. Is that, is that, is there a difference? Uh, they might have used that same technique. Okay. Yeah. Sure. 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 So yeah, let's make a deal. There's also that, this classic problem of like people pick the wrong choice statistically all the time because they feel like it's good, but it's actually not. And, and it's, it's, it's one of those ways that our cognitive biases, the ways our brains trick us, really hurt us in the long run from making good decisions. Yes. So, again, the disruption doesn't 
cause the dysfunction, it reveals the dysfunction. So this dysfunction is always there for us. We are we are Dan Ariely, an economist at Duke, calls it we are predictably irrational. You can actually anticipate places where this irrationality is going to show. One of the things is comparing apples and oranges. That's a thing that human beings just do all of the time. We're analogical thinkers. It's how our brains are wired. It's one of the reasons God connects with us in the way he chooses to connect with us. It's so beautiful, meaningful, powerful that God connects with us through analogies, but analogies always, always, always break down at some point. And so what happens is when we try to when we try to wrap our minds around something if we're not cognizant of the temptation to improperly use analogies we end up leading ourselves down a path that causes a lot of harm and a lot of pain uh, there are a lot of people who are shouting at vaccine hesitant folks right now um because they're like, the science says you should get the J&J vaccine. The science says it's safe. And honestly, the science doesn't say that. Like the science, the science says this vaccine should be paused right now while we try to figure out what's going on. You know, you said that there are six or seven cases of blood clotting, but we don't honestly know that. Like the blood clots, sometimes take three to thir- uh, six to 13 days to show up. And there are a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people who got vaccine vaccinated on Saturday with me. And so we might be hearing stories a week or two from now of additional blood clots that are appearing. And so the probability may shift dramatically in that the absence of knowing that a pause is a very reasonable, rational may I say, scientific decision to make. But it doesn't feel that way because we saw this vaccine as the light at the end of the tunnel. It was our source of hope. And so we start to look for signs that communicate that this thing is safe, that it's effective, that it's going to solve all of our problems. I want to ask you, Kyle, have you ever heard this uh, this saying, the best vaccine is the one you can get? You ever heard that one? <laughs> um. I don't know if I've heard that specifically about the vaccine, but I could definitely hear about that. One of the things that makes me think about is in basketball, people say the best ability is availability. Nice. Nice. I haven't heard that one. Uh, People are saying this. The best vaccine is the one you can get. So let me just ask for a minute. Um, If I had gotten the Clorox vaccine last year, would that have been a good thing? Probably not. Probably not. But But we use these little sayings, trust the science, the best vaccine is the one you can get, Uh, flatten the curve. We use these sayings as shortcuts in, in order to communicate deep and profound truths. But if we don't pause to examine the truth behind the saying or the shortcut, we might misapply the saying. Right. Right. So, so what I'm hearing from you too is not necessarily that we're like anti-science, but we're actually more pro-rigor. Yeah, actually, incredibly pro-science. Pro-science. Right. We're we're, we're pro-scientific method. Like, let's have a hypothesis. Let's test it out. Let's see it happen a bunch, etc. 
What? Well, and, th- and this is a huge thing that we find in campus ministry, is that science and scientism are not the same thing. Uh, the worship of science, the, the, the treatment of science as religion actually degrades the practice of science and keeps us from experiencing the scientific method and the benefits of the scientific method. When science is treated as religion, it's bad for both science and religion. I mean, one thing I can think of, even when I was growing up, of just kind of this idea of like, oh, hey, like, you know, the atom, the model for the atom changed like six times, right? But, but people operated as if, so with scientific fact, this is how atoms work, right? And, and we've made a bunch of discoveries and things like that, but it's changed over time. And because we're making better and better hypotheses, we're being continuously rigorous. We're always skeptical of what, of what's coming in. And we're trying our best to go what's behind the, the data that we're, where we've, we've picked up. And that, that's kind of what you're talking about too. Help me though, Steve. How do we, how do, how do I as a campus minister do anything with what we just said? <laughs> well, the first thing, and this is almost always my move. I mean, we've been doing this long enough, Kyle, that you know, like my first move is often to empathy is to say, like, understand that there are some people who you are ministering to and with, your colleagues, you know, your, your fellow students on campus, faculty that you work with. There are some people that we minister to and with who just had their hope taken from them. They had hoped that the J&J vaccine would offer them salvation. And it's taken. And in that space is a tremendous pain And so just want to encourage you, if you're a statistically minded person like me, don't be a jerk. Like, don't move into the place of people's pain with statistics that that communicate to them that they have no right to their pain. Telling someone they have no right to their pain doesn't take it away. The second thing is it's a good reminder to us that we all have cognitive biases. We compare apples to, to, to oranges inappropriately. We have confirmation biases where we believe something and then look for evidence to support our belief instead of to challenge our belief. Okay, we, we totally let other things cloud our judgment and we're not as good at identifying things as we actually think we are. Yeah, and so, you know, that's true when you start thinking about your ministry and the data around it. So you start thinking through, okay, we need to reach new students next year. We need to reach a hundred thousand new students next year. You know, you could do that. And there was a time a few years ago when InterVarsity was, was doing that, but we're in a different context now. And so you need to be able to shift context and to ask the Lord, how many new students can I minister to next year? in a way that has integrity and that fits our values. Well, I think one thing that that also I'm drawing away from this is when we are presented with information we don't like, right? I don't like the fact that J&J vaccine is not cool. It's not like 100% kosher. Like there's some bad things. I don't like that information. And I'm like, and when I first see the 7 million and six cases, I'm like, what? That's ridiculous. That's silly because I had put some hope in the vaccine, right? What I, what we're then challenging me to do is to go more rigorously, look at like, okay, what's the statistics behind that? Why do I feel this way? Why, why was I going about the way that I was going? Right? And that negative information actually led to something deeper, more helpful, and better for us in the long term, I would say. 
right? And I would say, what if, what if we were, uh, what if I was at a campus minister or a student and we had a project and people are giving me negative feedback, right? And why are they giving me negative feedback, right? Because at first it could be like, oh, but I, I put a lot of work into this project. I hoped into this project. I believe this project will help us. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. I think it will cure all our problems. Maybe instead, let's see why they're saying what they're saying, because they might have a legitimate, legitimate concern that can also help us improve what we're doing and get better at what we're doing. Well, and let me just share a brief word for our older listeners here, because I think this is going to be really important. Young people who are struggling to trust institutions, this is one of the reasons why is because the institutions that they see around them say one thing and then say something else and then say something else. So they, they say a vaccine's not going to be ready until next fall. And then surprise, the vaccine's ready in December. And then surprise, the vaccine is, um, is safe and effective. And then surprise, there may be issues with the vaccine. And I guarantee in a couple weeks, it's going to be the vaccine safe to take. Go ahead and take it. And the distrust in institutions is rational, even if it's painful. And when you're thinking about your ministry, don't build an institution build a relationship, build a network, build a fellowship. Don't build an institution because people distrust institutions and honestly, they're right to. Right. Because God himself is not an institution. He's a being for who we can have a relationship with. Amen. That'll preach. Well, if we... If you would like to have a relationship with us and not support an institution, but have a relationship, you could support us by subscribing to our podcast, following us on Instagram at Ministry During Disruption. Check us out there. We're posting occasionally, but we do share lots of people we have a relationship with and show off all the cool stuff that they're doing and doing ministry all around. And you can contact us there, get to know us a little bit better. And But anyway, thanks so much for listening to our podcast and we'll hit you up again real soon. Today's sponsor is TheMinistryPlaybook.com. Many of us are becoming aware of gaps in our skill set, just as we're becoming aware of gaps in our areas of knowledge. There's so much that we have to learn. And here at Ministry During the Disruption, we believe that campus ministry matters, that students and faculty matter, and that it's worth doing campus ministry well. We're so grateful for the Ministry Playbook sponsoring this podcast, and we're grateful for the tools, resources, and training that are available for you through the theministryplaybook.com. It's all available right now for free. You can go to theministryplaybook.com to level up your ministry skills, whether it's evangelism, listening prayer, discipleship, uh, discovering how to make winsome invitations as you connect with new people on campus, theministryplaybook.com can help you. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Check them out.